It's nice to be here. I'm always here, but <laughs> it's nice that you're here. <laughs> um, I don't know if you remember um, your friendships back in primary school on the school um, ground um, and what they were like and what they were characterised by, um, which seemed to me to be kind of a complex political system that would change from day to day. Um, one minute you were best friends with someone. Um, you were going to live with them, you were going to um, work with them. Always I was going to open a shop with my best friend. Or I just remember today, um, one best friend I had, um, we had this plan to sell door-to-door -door, um, things we'd made out of paper mache. I just remember that. I was like, that was my life's mission <laughs> for like one day. But then the next day we went friends, which is the point that I'm making. Um, so, um, yeah, when the kind of eternal bond of love had next minute um, disintegrated and you were eating lunch alone. Um, we, oh, no, that actually wasn't my personal anecdote. <laughs> um, I wonder if we bring some of that dynamic into our adult relationships, maybe not quite as pronounced or dramatic, but um, I wonder if our behaviour towards... Um, our friends is slightly more based on emotion than maybe we'd like sometimes. Um, or if we are slightly more irrationally nervous than we need to be about not having done the washing up um, and coming home to see what someone might say. Or being in a meeting and wondering if something didn't quite go very well communication-wise and then um, trying to work out what you're going to say later. Sometimes it can feel a little bit like that schoolyard, where do I stand feeling. And I wonder if we also bring some of it into our relationship with God. I think that we can wonder, oh, how is God going to feel about me today after the week that I've had? How can I actually know that I'm still in, or in at all? How does God keep his promises to me when I am so flaky myself? I think that there's an answer for us today in this passage, um, which I am dubbing the most important story in Exodus that we don't know. Um, you can tell me afterwards if that's true or not. On the screens behind me are the words, he draws us out to... <laughs> ah, that didn't work, did it? <laughs> um, he draws us out to draw us in. We um, have seen what God draws um, Israel out of. He draws them out of Egypt um, into uh, well, I guess at the moment, a desert. But today we're going to see what he's really drawing them into. There have been a few clues thus far um, in the series and in the book. God has said, I've seen the misery of my people and I've come down to rescue them. He said, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. He said, I, you have led... You have led in your steadfast love the people who you've redeemed. That was Moses, actually. And he also, Moses also has said, You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. Beginning to get it now. And the final one. I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. We've seen so far drama and action on an enormous scale, but throughout this story, the steady heartbeat of God has been, I am drawing you out to draw you into myself. I will be your God and you will be my people. 
God wants to be in relationship with his people, not just to relate to them, but to be in relationship with them. He is a God of mighty acts, a God of miracles, and he is always a God of relationship. So let's look at this passage today. We're in Exodus 24. And I'm starting from verse 3, if you have Bibles with you. If not, it's going to come up on these screens here. It says, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. So this is um, the Ten Commandments and the laws that have kind of accompanied the Ten Commandments, that Moses has received up a mountain. Now he's come down and he's telling the people the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people And they said again, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now the surrounding people groups um, that the people of Israel are now kind of surrounded by in the desert who are living in various places near and far and Egypt, where they've just come from, all have gods of their own, often multiple gods. And these gods are capricious, they are subject to whims, they are unpredictable. Because they're mainly made from human imagination, they behave a lot alike humans. One minute they're for you, and the next they're against you, a little bit like those school ground friendships. At this point, after 400 years of slavery, Israel have been set free from Egypt, but now they have no real way of being sure that this God who set them free isn't going to behave the same way as the Egyptian gods and turn on them. They have no real way of knowing that the favor of this God is going to continue from one day to the next. They cross the Red Sea, but they get into the desert and they panic They have no food or water or land of their own, and they cry out to God, have you brought us out into the desert to kill us? But Yahweh, the God of Israel, is not like the God of Egypt. He does not change like shifting shadows. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is coming to tie himself in a loving commitment to his people in what's called a covenant. Now, a covenant is an agreement between God and his people. We've seen a few of them before. God has a track record of covenant faithfulness to his people. He made a covenant with Noah that said he would never again flood the earth. He made a covenant with Abraham that said he would take him, an unassuming old man, and give him children that would outnumber the stars. In a covenant... God says, if you behave in this way and follow what I'm saying, you follow my ways, I will be like this to you. He makes promises 
of what his behavior is going to be day in and day out to his people. He says to Israel, if you follow what I am putting in front of you, you will be my special possession. You will be a kingdom of priests. You will be a holy nation. I will fight for you and overcome your enemies. I will treat you with grace and mercy, and I will forgive your sins. The covenant says, I am yours. You are mine. I'm in this for the long haul. I'm not going anywhere. He says, I will speak to you, and you will hear me when I speak to you. I will be present with you. If that language sounds a bit familiar, it's because marriage is a covenant. And God created marriage to reflect his covenant faithfulness. He actually even refers to himself as Israel's husband when he talks about this specific covenant later on in Jeremiah. But God is holy. As we were singing about earlier, he shines like a million suns ablaze. He is so good that his goodness is like a blazing light. He is entirely separate from everything that is not holy. So we have a bit of a tension now because we see this desire for God to be in relationship with his people. But we also know they stopped being holy a long time ago. His people began life in his presence, but when they rebelled against God, it says they were sent out from the Garden of Eden. That relationship was severed. His holiness and their sin cannot come together. It says um, about the Garden of Eden that his presence was then guarded by a flaming sword. 2,500 years later, fire still accompanied the presence of God when it crashed into contact with sinful man. Moses finds himself on a mountain called Sinai and encounters a bush flaming with the presence of God. And God says, don't come any closer and take your sandals off because this is holy ground. After the exodus, after they've um, left Egypt, Moses is brought back to the very same mountain, um, this time with like two million people, which I think must be very strange deja vu. The people and Moses gather at the bottom of the mountain, and God says, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud, which sounds quite nice that God is coming to be with his people. But this is how the event is described later in Hebrews. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be given. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So, how is a covenant with this God going to be possible? Well, we see in this story that he is going to build into the covenant itself ways to make it possible for him to dwell among them. He's going to give them a book, and he's going to give them blood. Um, if covenant, and this covenant is like a marriage, then the story here and the ceremony that we see in this story is a bit like a wedding. It starts with the reading of the vows, like a normal wedding. Moses reads the law to the people, and they all say, effectively, we do. Um, they say, all that we have spoken, we will do. And actually, they're about to receive a whole load of new laws as well, which 
they're kind of agreeing to by saying this here. There will be 613 laws in total, which you might know if you have tried to read through the Old Testament um, and tried to read the laws. And if you have tried to read the law, your first thought might not be, what a gift. <laughs> How nice. <laughs> but the law was such a gift to these people. It was a way to make an unholy people holy. It was a way of setting them apart to live differently to the people around them who, because of their kind of nasty gods, did some nasty things like child sacrifice. Um, this law is not just a list of do's and don'ts. It is a way of thinking that governed their whole life. It was a way into life for them. In Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And I've always thought that strange. <laughs> I think about, like, what are you meditating on day and night? But um, he's delighting that God would come and make a way that he could live in life, live a way that would lead him to be blessed. The law is the best possible way for the people of Israel to live. If they are faithful to the law of the covenant, then God will be faithful to his covenant blessings. He says, I've set before you life and good, or death and evil. If you obey the commandments by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord will bless you in the land that you are entering. See there how loving the Lord your God is so closely entwined with following his rules, following what he says. So we've had the readings, and the people have said, I do. Now we're going to deviate slightly from a normal wedding ceremony, as Moses is going to kill some animals, and then <laughs> sprinkle blood everywhere <laughs> on the people. I did try and come up with like a confetti thing. <laughs> But I don't, it wasn't really working. But you've got that image now forever, so... <laughs> Sorry. The law was a gift of grace, partly because included within the law were instructions about what to do when you broke one of the laws. What to do when you did lie, or you did see your neighbour's goat and think, oh, I would like that goat. <laughs> and this is such a gift because... As we've seen, sin and holiness cannot come together. So as soon as sin enters, this covenant could be broken. But God has meant it so that within the law, he has provided sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews tells us that there can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. But in the law, it's not the blood of the sinner which is spilt, but the blood of a spotless animal. When an animal was sacrificed, their sin was transferred onto the animal and they were forgiven by God. The covenant ceremony includes a sacrifice like this. A burnt offering is made to atone for the sin of the people. Um, they have atonement with God, which means they are at one with God. It's like at one-ment. They are able to be brought together. The people are then sprinkled in the blood of the sacrifice 
And Moses says the words, Behold, the blood of the covenant that God has made with you in accordance with all these words. The divine presence in Israel required sacrifice, but they didn't need to bleed themselves, only to be covered in the blood of the sacrifice. The Israelites had assurance from their sacrifice because they could see the animal dying and they knew that their sin was dying with it. They were able to say, my sin does not belong to me anymore. I am right with God. God provided a way that despite their sin, despite their constant rebellion of his laws, that they could walk in a way that was right with God. So the book and the blood have sealed this covenant. They have made it possible for God to be with his people. Covenant has made relationship possible, and relationship makes presence possible. The wedding ceremony, as it were, is over. The covenant is sealed. Now it's time for the wedding meal. If you remember before, God's presence on this mountain... um, Basically, the people trembled, the mountain trembled, Moses trembled. Um, Not the best scene for a wedding meal, but now everything is different. And we have this remarkable story of Moses and some elders going up this mountain. And it says, they beheld God and ate and drank. Remember that the covenant is all about God being present with his people. The book and the blood make the bread possible. Have you ever seen a film or read a book? You're thinking, how relatable. (laughs) It's like she's talking right to me. (laughs) Books and films are written as stories with a beginning and an end. Again, as you'll know, because you've probably watched one. They are written so that at the end of the story, there are oh moments. Bits that appeared earlier that didn't make much sense suddenly make sense. Or it turns out there have been clues dropped throughout. Or hints towards where the final story is going. Motifs and themes have been introduced which are tied up at the end. This is quite ironic for me, actually, because often at the end of a film, everyone else is like, oh, and I'm like, oh... (laughs) Um, But anyway, God is the storyteller. He loves metaphor, he loves symbolism, and he's been telling one big story for thousands of years. He has woven a story full of hints about where it's all going. The New Testament was written to give us, oh, moments about the Old Testament. Like That's what that bit meant. This story today is full of hints and clues and themes about the way that God relates to us now. There are stories for us that paint this story in totally new light. Before Jesus died, he ate a meal with his friends. um, Because as we've seen, God loves eating meals with his friends, which is something that he'll be doing for eternity. He holds up a cup of wine, and he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. God is, or Jesus is quoting this passage when Moses says, behold the blood of the covenant. Jesus is saying, behold 
the blood of the covenant. He wants us to remember this passage because he wants us to see that he is coming to do the same thing in a new way. Maybe we don't think about covenant very often, the idea that Jesus came to make a covenant with us. But this is what Jesus had in mind, the eternal covenant, when he was here with us on earth. Just like in the first covenant, just like in this covenant, the book is present, the law is present, but it's no longer written on tablets of stone, but tablets of the human heart. In Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah talks about the new covenant that God is going to make with us. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which is what we've just read. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. In this new covenant that Jesus has come to make, the command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, is not just a command, it's also a gift. He says, I know that you can't follow me in your own strength, so I'm going to put my spirit within you to change you from the inside out. It says in Ezekiel that he will put his spirit in us to cause us to walk in his commandments. It's almost like if we're in this covenant, we don't have a choice. He's changing us to follow these commandments. No longer are they too hard for us to do. No longer are they heavy for us, but they will become a joy to us. We say, like the psalmist, that we delight in the law of the Lord because he has written it deep within us. And when we fall short of God's perfect commandments, which we will do, the blood of the sacrifice is present in this covenant too. Like in the covenant that we've been talking about, this one too has an atoning sacrifice which will make the people right with God. But in the new covenant, it's not sealed by the blood of animals, but the blood of God himself. Just as the Israelites could be sure that they were right with God because of the covenant that he had made with them, we can be sure as well because by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being saved. Just as the Israelites can see the death of their own sin in the sacrifice of the animal, we can look and see the death of our own sin at the cross of Calvary. So when we ask those questions about how God feels about us, whether we're actually in, whether he still feels the same way about me today that he did yesterday and will do 
tomorrow. We remember that God is still a God of covenant. It's still the only way that he relates to his people. You are either fully in his covenant or you are out of his covenant. He doesn't go in and out of being for you just as someone can't go in and out of being married. This covenant can't be broken because we didn't make it in the first place. This covenant no longer depends on our own faithfulness because Jesus faithfully upholds his side of our covenant for us, or our side of the covenant for us. It was secured forever by his perfect obedience and his perfect blood. And how do we get into this new covenant? We enter through Jesus. That's it. If you want in to this, to this promise, to this life, to this relationship with God, you can get in tonight. The new covenant will never pass away. It's called the eternal covenant. It will be perfectly sealed forever. And if, you're, if you've accepted Jesus on your behalf, then you are perfectly sealed forever within it. Oh, you're there. I'm going to finish by reading some verses from Hebrews that says, We draw near with a true heart, with full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, not now sprinkled by the blood of a sacrifice, but sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. It says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, because he who promised is faithful. When we have those niggling doubts about whether we should just give it half an hour or so for God to cool off with us. Maybe we'll come back tomorrow when he might have slept on it and forgotten what we've done. We can remember that he will feel the same way about us for eternity because of his covenant. So half an hour is not going to make much difference. Let us now draw near with full assurance of faith because he who promised is faithful.